Welcome to the Alpha Female Podcast with me, your host, Robin Baldwin. This show is to inspire you to embrace living like an alpha female. But what is an alpha female? An alpha female is a powerful and assertive woman. Her confidence is due to being an intelligent and intellectual problem solver. She chooses ambition and is proud of it, but strives for a happy and healthy work-life harmony. An alpha female puts herself first, sticks to her priorities, but nurtures relationships with all the people in her life. So let's get started. This episode of the Alpha Female Podcast is sponsored by my Work-Life Harmony Worksheet. I finally made it and I'm so excited to share it with you. I took the Building Blocks of Health Guide and improved it, added more to it. So you're getting a PDF that has each of the sections of our Building Blocks of Health. It asks you questions to spark ideas of maybe where you want to optimize your life. And then it gives you time management and planning tips on how to actually get that scheduled in your month and in your week. So head on over to bit.ly forward slash work life harmony worksheet. That's bit.ly forward slash work life harmony worksheet to get your copy today. If you're listening to this show, you've been drawn to being inspired on how to create work-life harmony in your life. And by now, you're probably aware that I'm a doTERRA essential oil wellness advocate, but I'm stepping into this role in a much louder way this year. I'm obsessed with essential oils as simple self-care tools in our toolkit. doTERRA is the only company who sources essential oils by finding the best place in the world that the original plant grows through something called co-impact sourcing. They have incomparable transparent testing practices to create therapeutic grade essential oils, and they have a heart of gold through their charitable division, Healing Hands. If you haven't had a chance to sample doTERRA essential oils yet, I'd love to send you a few samples. So email me at robinbaldwin at gmail.com and put in the subject, I want oils, so we can start to chat around what your body is currently craving in the self-care department. You are listening to the Alpha Female Podcast, episode 156. All links and show notes can be found at robinbaldwin.com forward slash podcast. Today on the show, we're talking to Sachi Doctor. Yes, her last name is Doctor. And yes, I asked her before we started recording if that was actually her last name. So Sachi is the founder of Elemental Alchemy offering personalized wellness services and handmade self-care products to support those navigating their way towards sustainable health. She is an Ayurvedic practitioner, holistic health educator, and tea maker from a lineage of Indian healers and doctors, and has been imbued in both Eastern tradition and Western medicine since childhood. So she marries the wisdom of these two worlds, and she blends Ayurvedic principles and yogic philosophy with physiology and functional nutrition to help individuals better understand their mind-body composition, empowering them with the information and tools necessary to reclaim agency for their health and live life on their own terms. So I found Sachi again through my Instagram, just scanning of the Ayurveda hashtag when I was trying to figure out who would I want to bring on the podcast to talk about all things Ayurveda. 
And Sachi was such a surprise to me. I knew she was going to be good. Otherwise I wouldn't have asked her to come on the show, but I was so lit up after our conversation. I think I like, uh, kind of like bounded down the stairs to my husband and was like, that was the best conversation ever. It just lit me up so much. Sachi also has beautiful word choices. It made me feel like sometimes my vocabulary is just so limited, but she always seemed to say the right thing. And I feel like I had quite a lot of aha moments during the show. And I don't know if you'll be able to hear it in my voice. Um, And one thing that I didn't get to ask her, but I did at the end, and I said I would put it in her bio, was I asked her what elemental alchemy really means to her. And um, alchemy, the the actual definition of alchemy, let's see if I can quickly Google search it and kill time. Um, but the definition is the medieval forerunner of chemistry based on the supposed transformation of matter. It was concerned particularly with attempts to convert base metals into gold or to find a universal elixir. That's some good Google searching, Robin. So what she explained was elements are basically foundational. So elemental alchemy is the foundation for transformation which I absolutely love. So this is the last uh, interview episode in the Ayurveda series. I hope you absolutely enjoy it. And next week, I'll be back with another solo episode. But for now, let's get into the show. All right. Welcome, Sachi, to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I am so excited to have you as my third guest in the Ayurveda series. Um, I did send over the definition of what we believe an alpha female to be. So I love starting off that way. But will you tell me what you thought of the definition and how you see yourself as an alpha female? Yes. So when I saw it and immediately I saw the two in Ayurveda or yoga, we talk about masculine and feminine, not as a gendered thing, but on like yin and and yang and in that contrast and that alpha part of me, the cerebral mind, um, I love reading and learning and ambitious in enjoying and experiencing life. And at the same time, I try to do it in a way that is full of grace, led by intuition, that is founded in self-nurturing, like all of the yin, more like feminine qualities. So um, I love that definition. I, I That's how I saw it. And I think that's how it resonates for me. Now, I always hear in the yoga world, it called Shiva and Shakti. Yeah, it's Shiva and Shakti. It's Ha and Tha. Like Ha Tha yoga is actually like sun, moon. It's balancing the lunar and solar sides of us. It's left and right. Shiva Shakti. It's all of these things. Yin and Yang. yang. Yeah. Yep. Oh, <laughs> We're talking so about the cool. same thing. Yeah. It's so funny. And um, on a few episodes, I've had a few guests that don't resonate with definitions. They don't like it. I'm like, but there's definitions that exist in every single culture. Like we name things to explain them. (laughs) Yes. And we can see through it what resonates with us, right? Like, I love your beautiful definition. And for me, it's like, yeah, and it's this, this contrast or this duality. Yeah. So Um, in terms of like the ambition and the confidence and uh, making sure that you're your authentic self, have you always been this way or has it been something that you've developed in the past few years? You know, growing up uh, in a a child of immigrants, and I, I grew up in Michigan, a very small town, I was always questioning identity because I didn't know. I'm like, I'm Indian and I'm American. I, at home, we practice Jainism and Hinduism, but I went to a Catholic school. So I was always aware of identity and how it's 
it can be constructed externally to us and reflected or expected of us, or we can choose to construct it um, internally and then share that expression. Not that I always done that well. I mean, you want to fit in with your school friends, um, but it was always in my awareness. And it's something that over the years, as I got older, I was more and more able to, you know, integrate and abide by for myself. Hmm, That's so cool. We've never had that conversation around fitting in with external constructs versus creating our own and then expressing that out. Yeah. And I'm sure we'll get there in the conversation, but that's what I'm passionate about with health, essentially about those are constructs too. What does it look like? Well, what does it feel like? That's the question, right? It can look like lots of things, but that doesn't help us understand what it means or what's possible for ourselves. That's so true. And with, um, conventional medicine so many times it looks like a certain way an external construct and when it doesn't feel good internally to ourselves we start questioning it and go well maybe i need to define this for myself what does my holistic health look like oh i love this okay um (laughs) (laughs) that's so cool so the podcast is all about work-life harmony we've done away with the word work-life balance because it doesn't exist but i have never said balance more when i talk about ayurveda (laughs) Because it's so woven into Ayurvedic definitions and principles. Um, But again, I don't think you're ever equally balanced in your doshas. You're constantly working with imbalances. So I think it's all about dosha harmony. But (laughs) um, how would you kind of describe your work-life harmony uh, as you're building a business as an entrepreneur? Yeah, I, I'll share that. But first, I want to say, just like alpha female, you know, has different interpretations. I'm sure you've heard people share many different, you know, um, explanations or the way that it resonates with them. I think balance is an interesting one too, because in our culture, we assume to mean evenness, like tit for tat or fifty-fifty. But if you look up the definition, it's a state of equilibrium and. Sometimes a lot is balanced by a little. It, it depends on what we're talking about. Um, like when you're really hot, you don't want something super cold. You just want something that's slightly cold that makes you feel a little bit more comfortable. Oh, it's just bringing you back to equilibrium. Equilibrium. And so another definition, like in the art world, we talk about a balanced composition in a piece of art. And it means harmony in proportion or harmony in design, like in our, that our eye sees. It doesn't mean that both sides are equal or the same. So that's why I do. And I, and that's what I do love about the word when it's explained, because otherwise I had that same thing of like, well, you can't do 50, 50 everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's why work-life balance doesn't resonate with people and why the harmony word has resonated so much with me, because it's trying to explain to people that you get to create your own equilibrium. If you have 90% work and 10% life, but you're happy and healthy, you're good. That feels like equilibrium or homeostasis for you. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. So for me, what it looks like is um, my ability to show up in both spaces with my best self, my ability to be there for my clients, even if it's like the most of my day. And then if I see a friend for dinner, being able to be just as energetic and present with that person. And that's my radar to kind of see like, where am I getting off kilter? Am I so much in my social life and playing with my niece that I, you know, when I work, show up to a client, I'm a little lagging or a little, um, kind of fuzzy as I am, (laughs) I seem to be right now (laughs) or, or vice versa. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I want to get into what your dosha is right away. So, um, I am 
Pitta Kapha. Those of you, you can't see me right now, all of you listening, but I, um, I have some Kapha features of big lips and big eyes. Um, I have a proportional frame, though I'm also really tall, which we attribute to Vata, but overall, Kapha teeth, physicality, you can see both the Pitta and the Kapha. Um, it also shows up in my nature. We talk exactly this um, alpha female, like the ambitious, determined, intellectual, cerebral side of me, and then the nurturing, caretaking. Um, I like to think I create space for people that's very kafic and stable. Um, so there's the contrast, I think. That's so cool. I love that Pitta shows up in the alpha um, and that the female really shows up in the vata and the kapha doshas. Yeah, and we need it. We need, we need all of them. We have all of them. Um, so it's great to be able to embrace. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And the reason why I asked you um, what your dosha was, because as you're explaining how you've created your work-life harmony, you were talking very much vata-like. <laughs> so that's a great point. And that's what I actually wanted to say next is, so I have an autoimmune disease. I have ulcerative colitis and I've had it since I was nine years old. So it has shaped my life. I don't, I mean, I know, I remember it's times before it, but they're vague and fuzzy. And uh, ulcerative colitis being an autoimmune disease located in the um, large intestine, the colon, it's a nervous system disorder. It's a dysfunction of the nervous system, the vagus nerve. And we know about the brain gut, you know, connection now. And so it does show up as vata in terms of the things I need for self-care, both for my gut healing um, and also for my nervous system to be stable and to not have uh, a prone, um, more prone to anxiety than I am to pizza imbalances or kapha imbalances in that way. Um, yeah, so it's interesting too, because everything has a dosha, seasons, illnesses, foods. So we're always playing, interplaying between our environment and the things that yeah we're engaging with. Do most autoimmune disorders, because it's uh, most autoimmune disorders, disorders affect the central nervous system. Are they actually appearing as vata imbalances in most bodies? They're both. I mean, so vata, yes, vata moves the other doshas out of balance. So pitta is just there, it's fire. Earth is just there, it's stable. When we get a lot of vata, wind can move a rock. It can break an iceberg off of a stable, solid block. And so when vata moves, it can disrupt the other doshas. So along with ulcerative colitis, there is an inflammation and we inflammation component, most autoimmune diseases, right? And with inflammation, we're talking about pitta, especially um, in the gut with the blood. And, you know, there's a combination of vata and pitta. The fiery digestive, the digestive yeah. agni. Did I get that right? Agni. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Agni. And so um, it's both. And when we're talking about self-care for me, it's managing more of the vata aspect of that illness food and things helps with it overall. But yeah, I hope the listeners have listened to the last few episodes. So they are on on par. This is not like a beginner intro into Ayurveda, because I'm just we're throwing out terms. So if you haven't gone gone back to the beginning of season four, um, we just started in April 2019, go back, listen to those episodes, then come back. Um, so you were diagnosed young with the autoimmune disorder. Has, have you always taken care of yourself differently or did you maybe come to a point in life where you were like, enough is enough. I need to figure out how to heal my body. Yeah. I mean, to have an illness as a child, like you, you aren't in responsibility for your health in an active way at that time. You're following what your parents say. And I was seeing so many doctors. And so 
I never felt a sense of agency or an empowerment when it came to my body or my health. I didn't understand. And then it was being explained to me. And what I love about Ayurveda is it's a journey from the inside out of like getting to know your constitution, understanding how it relates to your tendencies, your imbalances and illnesses, and then using specific tools and practices. So it did take me a while. For a long time, I was just waiting for a doctor to give me the blueprint, like give me the key or the blueprint to my body. And it's never going to be exactly right because there are some 8 billion people on this earth and we're all unique. And so a lot of it we can get from our physicians, which is amazing, the research we can do and the blood testing. And then how do we combine it with the exercise we're doing, the food we're eating, you know, aromatherapy, all these other things, our social life that actually influences our health just as much as anything we're doing um, with regards to medication. And I don't think it's shared in your bio that I read at the beginning of the episode, but you mentioned to me before we started recording that you come from a family of physicians, Uh, because I actually asked her, like, is your actual last name doctor? Um, But you come from a family of physicians. So um, were they conventional trained or were they Ayurveda trained? So my parents, a lot of family members are Western physicians, they're allopathic doctors, but my mother... Um, well, in India, Ayurveda is woven into the culture. It's in the food. It's in so many of the traditions. So it's not seen as something that you're adding to your life. It just is in life. (laughs) Yeah. So, so many of the healing things my mom would do, like if we scraped our knee or got ahead of burn, um, had an upset stomach, they were all Ayurvedic. I just didn't know that. Um, and at the same time, you know, being a child who's sick, like my parents wanted to find resolution and they're very skilled in their professions. And so we did move towards like, especially a chronic illness like that, that's so painful, like Western solutions and still eating healthy diet and things at home. But it wasn't the lens of Ayurveda per se that was used. Gotcha. So Ayurveda has always been woven into your world, but when did you decide to actually become a practitioner? So um, while I was surrounded in medicine and very much immersed in it at the, din- at the dinner table. Uh, my background's actually in development. And um, st- I was really fascinated around storytelling, specifically like economic development and how um, stories are told about people and about cultures and communities um, while they're standing there and don't have the microphone themselves to share from their first person experience. And so it was a lot around empowered storytelling and getting people access to resources so they could tell indigenous stories and disseminate information with native myths and, and things like that. Um, and as I mentioned, we were talking at the beginning about like stories and health is that same thing to me. Some people look at my resume and they're like, how did you get from there to here? <laughs> and I'm like, well, if we think about it, like we're also told stories about our health, what it should look like, what healthy a di- what a healthy diet is, all of these things that may not necessarily be true person to person. Um, so that's, that's how I wove my way back to, to this. And I was living in London, I was, um, um, in school at LSE, London School of Economics. And I would go to India to visit family because I was like halfway between both homes and I'd start studying with people. And it was there that I really dived um, deeper into this other world of, um, of stories and of healing. That's so cool. Um, and yoga and yoga philosophy, uh, when did you realize that that was maybe woven into your life from an early age too? (laughs) 
So, yes. So um, pujas, like prayers and ceremonies, um, ritual and that nature was always a part of my life. Uh, Going to temple. um, My bedtime stories were from the Bhagavad Gita, which if you're a yoga practitioner, if you've done yoga teacher training, you'll know the story. But that's what my parents um, read to us before bed. I'm laughing because I had I had to read it for my yoga teacher training in Bali in February. And I remember talking on IG story like, this is so hard to get through. I couldn't get through the introduction. And then um, I grew up in the Christian faith. So my friend was like, skip the introduction, just start reading it. It's like the Old Testament, go. <laughs> exactly. We're always talking about the same thing through different frameworks, different language, but we're talking about like, in this way, it's the path to, you know, good and just living. And um, it was also in the food we ate. My mom, in Jain tradition, you do, you fast as a time of self-purification and um, contemplation, much like the Jewish tradition. And so when we were little, we wouldn't fast all day, but we would have like one meal or two meals and then not eat in between. It taught us discipline and appreciation for food and just like a deeper connection with our bodies that I really appreciate. Um, so the yoga, it was always woven in. My grandfather taught me how to do pranayama, like breath work before or after a meal. But I didn't actually asana, like the yoga that we know here in the West was the last thing I learned. And I didn't even know about it until like the end of high school, probably around like 18. I started going to like uh, Iyengar classes and I was like, oh, this is Indian too. (laughs) Yeah, this is the physical (laughs) manifestation of this. And it's fascinating because it's the first and foremost thing in the Western world. And when someone does their yoga teacher training, they're like, there are seven other limbs. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. There's, there's seven other limbs and the same thing with Ayurveda. We talk about the doshas, but Ayurveda is, is as complex and robust as um, yoga or people, a lot of people are exposed to traditional Chinese medicine, which is, um, you know, said to be as, as dated about 5,000 years old. And it also has, has acupuncture and med uh, herbal medications, but it also has so many other healing modalities. That's so cool. All right. And also in your bio, um, we read that you're a tea maker. Um, so uh, when did you discover the healing properties of tea and how did you learn how to make tea? So um, the tea I make follows the principles of Ayurveda, um, which I know you talked about um, in the previous podcast with Colette, whom I just, I love her, her work and her podcast. Um but it's, it's, there's one principle I'll share with you all now in case you haven't listened, and that's like increases like and opposites balance. So I'll go back to hot and cold for a minute. Like if you're really cold and you do something warm, whether you put a layer on, you grab a cup of tea, like you move towards balance or what we're calling equilibrium harmony. If you're really cold and you just have like you um, get stuck in the rain that's really wet and cold or you chew on ice cubes, like you get shivers down your body. It's uncomfortable. We don't do that we don't want to do that. And so um, that's one illustration of this principle. And it's also with the herbs we take and the teas we use. People are familiar with chamomile tea and valerian root tea to have in the evening. And the reason is, is because those are calming. They're nervine tonics. They help support the nervous system, just help us winding down, which is exactly what we want to experience when we're sleeping. So that's an illustration of like increases like the sweet supportive properties of those um, flowers help us in having more deep sleep restful um, night. So 
the teas I used to, um, I was making them individually. I handcraft all of them. I was making them for clients and it didn't occur to me to have a product line. I was just making them in small batches for people and giving them as a part of the program. Um, and then people are like, oh, I'd love to gift it to somebody or, you know, could I have more? Do I pay for more? And it took me a few years really to get on board and be like, oh, okay, yeah, I can do yeah. this. <laughs> That's so these. cool when you're like intuitively testing a product and you don't even know you're doing it. <laughs> so I, I love, I love making them. Um, and the blends are super intentional and I put all of the, you know, all of the principles of Ayurveda, but a lot of love into them as well. And yeah, it's a, it's a great joy. It's another avenue to share this philosophy because people will look at it and they'll land on my website or they'll seek Ayurveda somewhere else. And it's like, yeah, it's great. That's so cool. So Colette during my consultation uh, told me that I needed to drink more licorice tea, which is what I'm drinking as we, we talk. What is that for? I actually can't remember. She just told me to drink licorice tea. I'm like, sure. So licorice tea is super soothing. Um, it's almost slippery in its nature. And so it heals our gut lining. It can heal if you have a sore throat. It's, it's coating. Um, in the best possible way, kind of like olive oil can coat like an avocado or your toast and it just makes everything richer. It helps do that with our tissue layers. Yeah. I feel always like a slight like mucus layer afterwards. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so you can balance that. You can add some other, or you could add cinnamon that would add a little heat to it. Um, depends on, you know, obviously the dosha that was explored, but I like layering in different, um, components. So it's, um, it's like a cocktail. It's a craft cocktail. You can have it on the rocks. Great. And you can put in these other things and it just makes it a little bit more complex to taste and a little added benefits to the, to the body. We'll say. That's so cool. It's like, you're basically the Tom Cruise of tea making without, without the fancy hand tricks. Yeah. Or yeah, I don't even, what is that? I don't even know what that movie is, but cocktails. Yeah. Oh, there we go. (laughs) It sounds like I I don't actually even drink much, but it sounds like I do. (laughs) Just love eighties. That's so cool. Okay. So as I was researching you and diving into your website and social media, I found this on, on your website. It said in a world of abundant information, rather than looking outside of oneself for instruction, a loop that's confusing, complex, and disconnected from the self, we serve as a reminder that vitality flows from trusting the wisdom within and strive to help you consciously connecting with your natural rhythms cultivating awareness for what nourishes your body and makes you thrive. So my question around this is how do you actually teach others to look inside oneself? Because as I've been, you know, I read the idiot's guide, which is like Cole's notes version of Ayurveda for beginners. And there's still a lot of information and I've had, you know, Colette come on and explain it really easily. I had, um, the episode, as we're recording, it's going live on Friday, but it hasn't aired yet as we as we chat. Um, but I have Kelly Tennant coming on, and she's an autoimmune warrior who is applying Ayurveda over like the blanket autoimmune paleo protocol that we both learned to take care of ourselves. But then it becomes really overwhelming. It's like, okay, where do I start? Do I start balancing an imbalance? Do I just incre- like? Do I take care of this dosha? Like, it becomes slightly confusing. So, how do you simplify it for people? Yes. So I have rewritten that because that illustrates the exact thing I'm about to say, which is when we're thinking, what do I need to do? What, what should I do? What should I focus on first? We've already lost connection with the body, which is actually instruction. And it's through sensation. It's through like 
observing cause and effect. That was the most empowering thing for me with Ayurveda. It wasn't the answers. It wasn't the practices, though I love them. It was that if I pay attention, I can do something, observe the result with curiosity instead of judgment. And it instructs me or it gives me more data points and more information about what to do next time. And if I forget, that's okay. But at least I begin to understand patterns. And so for people, um, there are a few things. One, the way that we approach health is often by like what's going wrong or what we want to change. It's important to know that most certainly, but to stay fixated on that is not a very motivating force in terms of um, welcoming change or trying new habits. So I really like to first amplify for people the things that they're already doing to take care of themselves. I like to highlight all the ways they're already living this this wisdom that like increases like an opposites balance. Um, and when you start to see it within yourself, you're connecting to that innate wisdom that that um, phrase or that paragraph was mentioning. It's, it's our wisdom that tells us when we're cold to reach for something hot or when we feel heavy after, you know, I'll say like a Thanksgiving weekend or a wedding celebration, we've eaten a lot. Like we don't aren't as interested in food for a meal or so or just feeling that heaviness and that's creating some lightness. So we're always doing this. Um, and so with people, it's one to amplify um, and really draw out the ways they're already doing this for themselves. So they feel that sense of agency or empowered. Um, and also, I really I love to use uh, language that feels resonant. So I use the Enneagram Myers-Briggs. Um, I use Hakomi techniques around organizing principles, different things, because we all relate to language differently. And we want to make sure we're talking about the same thing. Right. And so people, it's also drawing on like what people are already observing about themselves. Like someone can say, I feel exhausted and it's really great to know, but what does it mean? That leaves us in our head about like, uh, I don't know, was it this or that? But when we think of um, exhaustion in terms of Ayurveda words, which are like light, um, light and heavy, you know, soft and rough or stable and mobile, we could think of exhaustion as being like it can feel heavy and sticky for someone or there's that exhaustion. Like after you run, I feel exhausted sometimes, but it's the best feeling. Mm, it's a light it exhaustion. Feels, yeah. It's yeah. light and clear and energizing. And so I'm helping people um, trying to get more specific about what they're experiencing, getting to the catalyst for change. And that is observing with more um, precise language. What's, what's going on, whether we're feeling imbalanced or we're doing something we really love. We want to be able to understand it all. And do you find that most of your um, peeps that come to you are problem solving a pain point? Like how many people come to you and be like, I just want to optimize my health? So I have a, I'd say a quarter of the people are like, I feel good. And I don't know, I don't know why, or I don't know what's going to happen when the season changes, or I feel good, but I, I want to have a better understanding of what works for my body. Um, I definitely get that, especially because Ayurveda is associated with um, yoga, and I teach a lot of trainings. I teach in teacher trainings, um, the Ayurveda, the Ayurvedic approach to asana. Um, a lot of those students who become clients are like, they're on this yogic path, and they want to understand this other modality and this other side of it. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah, because when I read that Ayurveda is the kind of the sister science to yoga, I was like, oh, that makes sense. One's health, one's spiritual enlightenment. Cool. If I study both, um, then my journey is a lot more holistic. 
exactly. It must be hard for alpha females because I bet you the majority of my listeners are very similar to my personality because like attracts like. Um, but the the whole like we love checklists, we love you know solving problems. So when we're given like a problem like oh, uh, I have digestion issues after eating these types of foods. So what do I need to do? Um, and it's like, give me the prescription and I'll go do it because I follow instructions really well. Um, and I think that's what's interesting with Ayurveda is that um, after doing the consultation with Colette, I got a whole bunch of different things. And I already know that I don't overwhelm myself by doing all of them at once. Um, but then I go like, which one do I want to do first? And I like literally just listened to my intuition. And I was like, buy licorice tea. So yeah, yeah. we should want to do this, you know, self-care now. Um, it's beneficial as it always has been, but it can be like, oh, this is the new trend. I have to do it. But if it doesn't sound interesting to you, or if it doesn't feel juicy in your body, then that's not the one, you know, that's, that's why I, with my clients, I introduce so many practices or use different language because what resonates for a person or what just captures their excitement in their attention is going to be different person to person. And, you know, in Ayurveda, we say everything's inherently neutral. Nothing, no one thing is better than the other thing. It all depends on how we're engaging with it at that time. Like, for example, raw salads, like I can't eat them on the average day. They really, they really hurt my gut. But once in a while, when it's super warm out and I feel really rested and I feel like I have a lot of energy and on a good streak with overall health, I eat it and it's totally fine. So it all depends on so many factors when we're engaging with things. Meditation is another one that people, they'll come and like, like, I know I'm supposed to meditate, but it's hard for me to sit down. It's like, well, let's think about the qualities of meditation. How would you know you're meditating if you, if it were never described to you? And someone will say like, I'll feel light and clear. Or I'll feel in my body and grounded. And then we start thinking, okay, what are some other things you already do in your life that help you feel that way? Whether it's walking your dog or cooking your meal, where are you already experiencing those qualities and using that as a gateway into different practices? Cause it looks different for everyone. So that's back to the external constraints, internal, um, kind of creating a definition. Um, okay. So back to the food, and I joke on the podcast uh, and, and in future episodes to come in the next series, I talk about my husband a lot that I swear he has lived uh, 5,000 lives um, and I'm on like my second. And he's such an enlightened being without being into any self-development or any of these things. But he like literally knows uh, what his, what serves his body and what doesn't. I remember like the celery, the celery juice trend that is, um, sweeping the nation for liver cleansing. Um, I'm like, okay, he needs liver cleansing, but I can get him to do milk thistle so much easier than I can get him to do celery juice. He's like, I'm just not drinking that. Don't, you can like, give me milk thistle in my water and I will do that. I will, you know, I will tackle my liver cleansing that way, but do not give me celery juice. I'm like, okay. Yeah. So much of, so Ayurveda is one thing, but in terms of integrating Ayurvedic practicals, I bring a lot about habit formation and ritual into my work. Um, and a lot of it is understanding, like, what are the things we're willing to do? What are the things we're never going to do? And to get clear on that just frees up space. It frees up expectations of ourselves. And like, there are certain things I'm never going to do. I'm never going to stay home and work out to a video 
online. It doesn't work for me. It doesn't give me the energy. I need to be in community. I need to be around people. Um, I know a lot of people that are super committed to it and it works really well for them. There's nothing wrong with me or right with, it's just, it is what it is. And so I don't try to force myself or to promise myself I'll do it. You know, there are a lot of things like that. Yeah, I was, and then um, back on the raw salads, I was trying to explain this. So the ladies in my office, I absolutely love that they do this. Every single Wednesday, they do a salad day and everybody brings an ingredient and they all make a salad. I can't eat raw salads in the middle of the day. I can maybe eat them at 4 p.m. when I've had like um, a turmeric milk latte um, because I've warmed up my digestion and I can maybe attempt to eat some raw vegetation. <laughs> but I just can't do it earlier. And I tried to explain this to them that I can't eat raw greens uh, early in the day. And they were just like, what? And I'm like, I'm going to still sit and eat with you, but I'm eating my like stews and um, uh, stir fries of root vegetables. And they're just like, okay. <laughs> I'm like, don't make me try to explain this more. <laughs> yeah. Well, for people who are listening and you're like, what, what's wrong with my salad? Nothing is wrong with your salad. Right. Um, it just greens, doesn't serve raw me. Raw <laughs> food requires a lot of digestive power to break it down, to break down those fibers and then assimilate and integrate that food. So if your digestive fire, your agni is weak or delicate or variable, um, expecting your body to be able to convert all of those fibers and break them down and then assimilate it. It's just a lot of work. And some for some people, it's, it's too much work for their gut to do. Yeah. Sorry. I wasn't hating on salads. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, okay. So I always ask my guests like specifics about themselves. Um, so instead of going into like the doshas across um, all of them, but how do you specifically nourish yourself? And then do you decide to do it based on imbalances or um, seasonally because our doshas change throughout the year? Over time, um... I've just, you know, you practice Ayurveda, you're, you know, in this world, listening to podcasts and things, you, you integrate more tools that help you understand yourself better, whatever modality it may be. And so for me, I know that I am on that spectrum of introversion, extroversion, just slightly over the edge. So the internet tells me, but I need rest. I need nourishment and quiet. And so regardless of the season, I make sure that that's available to me. I, I don't overschedule. I pretend little empty spaces they're imaginarily, they're filled in with just me. <laughs> I should actually just write it out. But because when we look at our calendar and there's an empty space, we're like, oh, I'm free. Well, I mean, kind of, but also you maybe want to do laundry. You want to take a bath. I like coloring. Right now I'm making friendship bracelets. <laughs> um, so, so I'll say one thing, like rest and rejuvenation or, or restoration is a big part of my health all year round. Um. Easy to digest food is another thing that definitely is consistent for me having um, a gut, you know, disease. And so I'm always looking after my digestive system. Um, but then it does depend on the season, you know, in terms of like in the winter, uh, I love playing. I taught myself how to play the harmonium and I love playing and singing and I'll light the fire and I'll sit by it and play the harmonium. Um, but right now it just finally got warm and sunny here in Northern California. And so I want to be outside. So I've been going on walks during that time and just like spring is in full bloom and it's just amazing. So I really try, like you were mentioning intuition, just like follow my curiosity. As long as I'm doing something that engages me fully in all my senses, I find it to be valuable. 
So I had to look this up because I thought you said harmony, like a harmonica. And then I was like, oh. no, 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 she's not saying that. Harmonium is like a mini piano. Yeah. So if anyone's ever listened to Krishna Das or any of the yoga music and you hear this instrument or they're singing over it, um, wah, Madam Kaur, like that's, that's the instrument. Um, all, yeah. A lot of the yoga music is played on. It's very beautiful. Um, and you yeah. self-taught yourself or did you get lessons? YouTube is amazing. I didn't really understand how to use YouTube. In some ways, I'm a bit of a Luddite. But um, my lo- younger cousin told me, like, you can just Google it. And I'm like, and what am I looking for? Like step-by-step instructions? Just, you know, a video, dummy. I was like, oh, okay. So there's some tutorials on there that get you started. And then I listen to songs I love. I love Krishna Das. And so I'll listen to him and then pause and try to play it. And it just fully... I just get encased and enveloped in it. And it feels like I'm, it engages that learning side of me and this devotion that, you know, I want to be a part of my life and to connect with the songs I grew up with. That's so cool. I love that. Um, all right. Do you have any specific, like, quote unquote, are your Vedic habits that help you reduce stress if they've built up throughout the day? Definitely. Well, before the day even starts, I drink warm water with lemon just to um, support my digestion, wake me up, make sure I have a ball movement, start my body fresh for the day. I love making um, homemade chai, so a masala chai the way that my family makes it. And that's a tradition that before the day even starts, I have just something that I am relishing in. Um, and also for me, with a tendency towards anxiety, especially overstimulation, living in the Bay Area and commuting and things, I every day I try to do it every day. Uh, when I wake up, I say I ask myself like what I want to experience that day, and try to think of one way I can experience it. So sometimes it's like I need I want space, and then I look at my day and I'm like, okay, how can I feel? How can I have space? Or I want connection, or I want to feel inspired. And it just anchors my day, even when it's in motion, because I'm looking for something specific and that just settles me in a lot of ways. Um, But in the evening, I love um, Abhyanga, which is the warm oil massage, you know, Colette described, and it definitely, it's just that juicy oil nourishing, um, all those qualities that you can do for yourself. And I love doing that before, um, before bed. That's one that as it gets warmer, I'll probably do less of, and um, but I still do use aromatherapy. Um, I'm always, I tongue scrape morning and night, and you, if you all heard about that. I have a question about Abhyanga. So we, um, I don't know if we talked about the specific oils, but when we were chatting in my consultation, I had heard on Sahara Rose's podcast, um, she had recommended that vatas should use sesame oil because it's warming. And pitta should use coconut oil because it's cooling. And I'm like, well, I'm vata pitta, so do I need to mix? Like, <laughs> and then the kaphas, what do they use? Um, mustard, sunflower, safflower, lighter oil. So you can think of oils in terms of their heaviness and lightness by viscosity. Like uh, sesame oil is thick when it pours out, more like syrupy, where um, when you pour out mustard oil, safflower, it's more like agave nectar. It's thinner, lighter, and it pours out faster. And then we're talking about viscosity, like how sticky is it on your skin? And that's one way, that's one indication. Um, olive oil is the one that generally suits most people. So if you're unsure which dosha, you know, like, what am I trying to do? You can try olive oil. Um, and also think of it seasonally. So I was just mentioning as it gets like warmer out, I, uh, 
there's no AC in these houses in Northern California. And so I sleep with the window. I want it to be cooler for me to have deeper sleep. And so I'll do um, alternate nostril breathing instead as a practice because I'm breathing in fresh air. It's just nice, um, especially because I have the windows open and, um, and do that at night. So um, some people around springtime do dry brushing just to help, you know, clean out the body, help detoxify, support the lymphatic system. Now, um, what is too much dry brushing? Is there such thing? So for me, I do not do it. It is, I find it like, even when I'm teaching people, I never touch my skin. I'm just floating the brush above my skin. <laughs> I'll get them. I'll do scrub. I'll make like an, uh, a sugar scrub and scrub it. But there's like a oily, there's like a moisture to it. There's something about the dryness and the stimulation that for my dry skin is way too much. And regardless of that, you want to be gentle. It's not like you're aggressively, like you're trying a to scrape pad, off trying a to clear, layer, yeah. <laughs> like a clear, clean a pan. You're just gently stroking your skin. And, you know, if it's um, coffee, it can be a little bit firmer. It depends on, you know, your skin texture and really how you feel. This is, ex- this is a thing of like, it depends, it depends on how it feels for you. So you try a little and wait and see, and then maybe you do more, you change, you know, um, the pressure. Yeah. The biggest joke in our, in our yoga teacher training was it depends. So (laughs) people would ask questions and the teachers would be like, well, it depends. I wonder if it's very similar in Ayurveda. Like it depends. So I just led a 40 hour Ayurveda immersion for teacher, um, uh, for yoga teachers and on the board all five days, it's like, it depends. Because that's one thing, regardless, whatever you ask me, that's going to be the precursor. So fair warning. <laughs> I think, and I absolutely loved it because there are, so, like, it's not cut and dry. It's not black and white. But that's what makes it so interesting is that it's so bio-individual to the situation, to the person. And exactly why I think I'm so drawn to Ayurveda is it's just a layer on top of an external constraint of way of taking care of myself that I have developed um, that feels good, but is not answering all of the pain points that I have. So I'm like, how can I weave something new in? And because it's an it depends situation, um, like I'll go back to the sesame versus coconut oil. That makes complete sense. If I'm in the middle of winter and my skin's super dry and I have a vata imbalance, I need to use more sesame oil. But in the summer and my skin's red and hot, I need to use a cooling one if I'm going to do a a Bianca massage. So I love that because that's an it depends situation. So in general, for and most of us have two dominant doshas, um, in terms of trying to stay balanced with the seasons, it's helpful to think of the season as a magnifying, it is a, a magnet. So if you have vata and you're in a vata season, which is fall, it has the qualities of vata that's mobile and dry and light, it'll pull up that vata in you. So you really want to attend to vata during that time. Whereas in summer, when it's hot and fiery, qualities of pitta, it's, it's pulling on that pitta in you, like drawing it up. And so you want to eat a diet and do self-care practices that attend to that. That's if there's not any like specific direct imbalance that you're addressing at that time. This is an in general when you're like, oh, what do I do now? Just helpful. We look at our environment. We're constantly, we want balance or harmony within ourselves. But the other part of it is that we stay in harmony with nature which has the greatest influence upon us. So I didn't plan on asking this, but we're talking about how seasons can increase 
your dosha constitution or a, a part of your dosha. Um, what about partners or coworkers? So uh, this was an interesting conversation during our YTT, uh, but my best friend and I were chatting about how um, her partner is super pitta. She's vata dominant. And my husband is kapha. And I was noticing that I was scoring really high on all questionnaires in kapha because I spend so much time with my husband. Um, so talk to us about partners and people uh, changing our doshas. Yeah, so um, we're talking about environment and external influence upon us. We're talking about everything. We're talking about nature, our home environment, the society we're raised in, and all the people. They all um, create the environment or they are the environment that our internal selves is engaging with. So just as much as food has a, you know, um, has a contributing factor for how we feel in any, any given day, so are the doshas present in the individuals we're engaging with. And so it is not, again, it is not cut and dry. Like if you're really vata, like don't date another vata. That's, it's not that at all. It's understanding the qualities in another person that may increase a certain sense within yourself that feels destabilizing and also qualities within that person that you can draw on when you need to feel grounded. In this case, I'm talking about vata specifically. Also, when any of these doshas are balanced, they're beautiful expressions. And we learn from our partners and from the people around us if they're different, you know, having someone who is um, kapha and grounded and stable in that kapha and not too heavy and withdrawn can be great for vata. You know, vata is like, I want to do this, that, and it can just create a it can You can remember like, oh, routine, stability, that's great too. That can be a foundation for me to explore and wander and be curious and, you know, be dynamic. Yeah. Or my, my vata and my pit. So my vata is like, I want to do this. I want to do this. My pit is like, okay, let's do this, 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 and this. And then my husband's like, can we just sit on the couch? <laughs> <laughs> that's perfect. And I'm like, oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And everything, you know, and sitting on the couch is great medicine. And then when we sit on the couch and sit on the couch and watch three series of, you know, on Netflix and we're there three days later, it's too much. My Pitta gets us off the couch and forces him to go and get into nature. So yeah. And that's beautiful. And that's great. And this is how, you know, the, yeah, the people, um, the people around us influence us and we influence them. And so we can be intentional about that and bring, the aspects of the relationship that we're looking for that we're needing to magnify and amplify. That's so cool. Um, all right. I always ask my guests this question um, and I've changed the wording a bit. So it's, it's, um, it sounds super um, delicious or like warm. Um, but if you could go back in time and hug your younger emerging alpha female self and tell her something as you, like just whisper it in her ear as you give her a hug what would you tell her wow that's beautiful um i would say you're not different you're not broken you're you and that's the best we can do in life is to nurture and honor um our unique expression hmm. uh is it a trend that you see with your clients that especially ones that may have a health diagnosis, a major health diagnosis, do, do they see themselves as broken? Because this is something that I struggle with. And my husband even wrote it into our vows to remind me. He's like, you're not broken. You do not require fixing. 
So I think it's more of a, a modern phenomenon. There's a beautiful, beautiful book called The Alchemy of Illness that if you have chronic disease, I can't, have you read it? No, I'm adding it to my list. In it, um, the author talks about how we've come to expect health, good health means perfection. And it means everything that's reflected in our consumer society. It looks a certain way. It feels a certain way. We're in control of it. When in reality, like we're still in evolution. There was a time not that long ago that our families and our ancestors would gather and pray for good health or pray for another day. And now the way that we have um, distanced ourselves from nature and with a fallacy that we have control over things, when something happens, we feel it's our fault. Well, what didn't I do? How didn't I do enough? And not to understand that we're not just our willpower. We are a confluence of factors and we are... DNA that comes from millions of years ago and all of that is still unfolding. And so um, I do share that with my clients as a reminder. And also I think it's, you know, when, when I work with people that have been sick since their childhood and for me, colitis shaped my life. It shaped if I could have slumber parties, how long I could go out, what I could do. And in that you feel like you're, you are, you're, you're different, but everybody's different. You just don't see how everybody else is different because yours is a very physical, physical, visible thing. Mm, and yours has a label too. And it has a label. Yeah. So just remember like everyone is, has things, everyone has unique gifts that they learn from their imbalances and they learn from their difficulties. I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing today had I not had this experience, um, you know, throughout my life. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, there's always growth in it. I have specifically changed my language when I ask my guests, like, was there a moment in time that you had like an aha moment that taught you to take, I used to say better care of yourself because there was a part of me that believed I wasn't properly taking care of myself because if I had known I would have done all of these things sooner, I would never would have gotten my illness because there's that fixing mentality but it's not. It's I always say that MS is the the best gift of health I could ever have received because it has taught me how to take care of myself differently. And that language is what I use now. It's how do you take care of yourself differently? Because um, yeah, it, you can be so hard on yourself. Like, whoa, why didn't I remove gluten and dairy and nightshades from my diet earlier and just stop all the inflammation? Like, that's just my over um, analyzing a type personality that's trying to fix the past, which I can't. And, I and it's so stop. natural to do that. I always, you know, I always tell clients like illness and disease is one of the greatest gifts we have. It forces us to pay attention. It forces us to get to know ourselves, to seek resolution in different ways. We can't just skirt on by kind of doing the minimum or doing what we're used to it demands growth. And in that way, it's, it's a beautiful gift. Mm, that's so true. I am, I'm hosting my first yoga retreat um, at the beginning of May, and I've named it autoimmune thriving. And obviously, it's been created to serve the autoimmune community. But it literally is not actually that specific. Like it's a restorative yoga class, a Reiki master coming in to do a talk and a three course autoimmune paleo lunch. And someone was asking me, they're like, I don't have an autoimmune disease. Can I come? I was like, yoga, Reiki, uh, healthy, healthy, healthy meal. Uh, yeah, like, of course you can come. Um, like nothing specifically. It's just how to take care of yourself um, in a different way than you may not be used to. You may not be taking restorative yoga classes. You may not know what Reiki is. 
Um, so I've kind of shot myself in the foot by naming it such, but I do want to serve the autoimmune community. Um, but yeah, I constantly talk about proactive health. Like this podcast isn't about autoimmune diseases. It's simply um, about proactive health. But I have so many guests over and over again who have um, an autoimmune disease themselves, but are taking care of themselves in a happy and healthy way. So there's a part of me that wants to eradicate autoimmune disease from this world. But it also is such a beautiful gift for people to kind of stop them in their tracks and listen to their body and go, oh, I can, oh, I can take care of myself differently. I can, or actually take care of myself because a lot of the time we aren't taking care of ourselves. Um, Overworking, um, perfectionist mentalities, like that does not serve us. And so just like that tap on the shoulder again, going, hey, like I know there's a, uh, there's a better way. Um, than what's happening right now. Like I need to stop your body right now. <laughs> Absolutely. And there's another, um, one of the things as you were talking that came to mind is this dichotomy between like Eastern and Western medicine, you know, like it's in either or, or how did your parents come from, you know, Western medicine, you're practicing Eastern or vice versa. And preventative medicine, we're talking about giving people agency and tools and resource so that they can best take care of themselves. Not that we ignore what science has bless us with in terms of deeper information, investigation, research, but hopefully to not have to get there. And if we are there to reduce symptoms, to feel like we still have some agency, even though we're going through treatment or whatever it is. I currently am on immunosuppressant therapy and I'm getting IV treatment once a month. I talk about my clients. I'm very transparent about it. I don't have control. There's no amount of pranayama and yoga I can do to reduce the inflammation that's coursing through my body right now. I had a really bad flare up, um, last summer and I'm still, you know, working my way through it. And, you know, I was doing everything I'm doing now. I was doing everything I teach and I got food poisoning at a street fair. And I think it kind of set off a cascading event of things in my gut. Um, but it doesn't mean that I've abandoned these things because now I'm doing that, right? It's not one or the other. It can be an and. It doesn't have to be an or. Yeah, I, I think it, it is an and. Yeah, yeah, that's so cool. Yeah, and there's a lot of a lot of people in the MS community reach out to me and they're like, "I want to get off the medication." I'm like, mm, "Don't talk to me." Like, I'm I am not a doctor, um, and if that is if that is just your intuitive wish, cool, empower yourself. But you're you're always you're kind of looking to me for permission, and I can't give you permission. Only you, and that's why the conversations around learning to trust your inner voice, learning to trust your intuition. I'm so passionate about because even myself, we so often reach out to experts when we have that answer within ourselves. Yes. Yeah. That's right. When I talk about taking agency, I don't mean making those decisions on your own, you know, without consulting experts. I mean, trusting your curiosity that that's even something you want to explore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Trusting, trusting that nudge. you feel like, yes. Yeah. Yeah. And learning how to build your healthcare team so that you're talking to more than one practitioner and finding out, you know, the educated decision that you can then intuitively make for yourself. Um, there was something that you said. So um, being upfront about being on medication and, and loving the Western world, uh, in addition to the Eastern medicine, like I love that we can just potentially take away the burden on our Western medicine system 
uh, I guess, by providing tools to people so that, um, you know, they don't have to run to a doctor to treat a symptom because they're empowered to have the lifestyle and food choices to support their body in the way that it's meant to be supported. Right. Exactly. And when we get lab reports back, we can't make sense of them to know there are foods we can use, there are herbs we can use to, to also support any deficiencies in the body. And that can feel empowering. Yeah. That's so cool. To do that. Yeah. Um, you actually inspire me to not ask my second last question that I've always asked every single one of my guests because it is so focused on the negative. It's like asking you what um, are you problem solving for in your life right now? So if I had to make that such a warmer question, I would say, um, what are you really excited to bring into your healthcare and self-care? <laughs> well, maybe I'll answer a bridge of both. I think... Um, you know, there's, there's so much to be grateful for and to, um, there's so much that motivates us to strive for happiness. And I think when we're in it, to allow ourselves to be in it, whether that's, we call it the shadow or darkness or confusion. Because if you think about the way things blossom, like we see the flower that's come through the earth, but when it was inside, when it was beneath that, that soil, it was establishing its roots. It was figuring things out. It was germinating. And that's, it's the work it did under the soil that allowed it to come through as this beautiful flower. And so I really, um, in terms of me, it's a, it's a reminder to not only do that for myself, but to share to other people too, because when you're a holistic health educator, a practitioner, um, you know, sometimes people have the impression that that means that you figured it out and you've got it all. And that's absolutely not the case. That's life. I don't have control over that. I do feel I have more information available to me and a better understanding of myself. And that feels powerful. Um, and so when we're, yeah, to not, to not skip over pain because we want to experience happiness or joy and to really understand that both of those things are an inside job. And when we feel them on the inside, we bring them everywhere we go and to whomever we interact with. Okay, then maybe I won't stop asking the question because you need darkness to have light. Yeah, well, things germinate there. It's the catalyst for change. It's what we're talking about is illness being a teacher. Um, it's like, it can feel like a slingshot. You get pulled back and it feels so uncomfortable. Like, how am I back here again? And then it releases and you're just, you slingshot forward into a new place you never knew existed for yourself. And that, that's pretty amazing. So when you had the flare up, did you find yourself, uh, I don't, if you have some pitta in you, I can guess, did you find yourself getting frustrated? Like, why is this happening? Um, for, for, yeah, for me, it was more, um, I'll, say, I'll be honest, in the beginning, I had a crisis of confidence. It wasn't, why isn't this working? But who am I to be teaching about holistic health? If I'm doing all these practices, and this still happened, it's what it really was. I, I, I had, but um, uh, we'll put in air quotes, a little crises around that. And then as it continued and persisted for months, I realized that if I had not been doing the practices, if I had not been doing my pranayama and abhyanga and things, it would have been worse because when they did the blood tests and did the lab reports, like, how are you functioning? How are you even functioning? I'm like, oh, okay, it does count. Everything counts, no matter how small any act of self-care or um, anything we do for ourselves that can help possibly you know, make us feel better, it all adds up to something. And so that was really, that was the moment that I was like, okay, I can get through this and 
I'll do so by staying committed to the practices I've always done. And have you also then learned something new about how to support potentially a client or a friend that is going through something similar? Because so many times, if we live in like this perfectionist bubble, um, you take a step away from being able to empathize with others. And um, I also want to say like, sometimes when I find myself feeling inauthentic, it's because I'm projecting this perfection that doesn't actually exist. And I'm struggling. I'm just not talking about the struggles because I think that I need to be a perfect role model at all times. Absolutely. And the more people like yourself who have this voice in this audience, like the more that we talk about it, I tell my clients and my students, the more people begin to see like it reflected back in where they're, you know, in the people that they're um, looking to for resolution or for new skill sets. Um, for me, like I, this is another reason I'm so thankful for Ayurveda because at its core, it's teaching us that health isn't a fixed state that once we achieve, we can cling on to for the rest of our lives. It is constantly changing. It is dynamic and it's always responding to different stimulus. And that's an unpredictable thing. That's so and, true. And so to remember that is, it's the first thing I talk about um, in a session. And it's something we come back to because that's really empowering to be like, oh, I can get out of this or this can be different. And if it changes again, you know that it will change. We know this about, we say this in our dating lives or we say this in our emotional lives, like you're heartbroken, but remember time you weren't. It's the same with health. Things are always changing. Um, and that just gives us, it can feel, you know, um, powerful to know that and be like, okay, and if I do things that to help myself, I can support myself in this change. It can go in the way that is positive for me right now. Oh, that's so true. Yeah. Like at a time in 2012, when I left a very toxic relationship and learned to heal my heart and find a life that I loved, I always tell people, I'm like, uh, knock on wood, this would never happen. But I'm like, if something were to happen to my relationship now, I would know exactly how to find a life that I loved again, because I've taken the steps. So it, it can apply to relationships, it can apply to career, it can apply to health, like all uh, pieces of life are constantly moving. So maybe our, our body just likes to remind us, it's like, hey, um, something's imbalanced, and we'll fix it. But I just needed to give you a, sorry, not fix it. We will um, optimize it. <laughs> oh, language. Um, just, I just needed to give you a little nudge. Um, well, it's it the same around perfectionism, um, in terms of feeling like we have to do it all. And if we don't do it, then, you know, things have kind of gone to hell or something. Um, Ayurveda offers us, um, tools that we can use to address so many different areas of our life from like oral hygiene to enlightenment to all of these things in between that all the pressure isn't on our diet and all the pressure isn't on what time we go to bed. It's kind of evenly distributed. So if a few things fall off one day, you can just make sure you're still doing the other things or, you know, there's always tools at your disposal in any scenario you're in. And, and that helps more in the long term. So really reminding people it's smaller things actually add up to much more than going really hard and then kind of forgetting your things falling off um, because they're, they're unsustainable. Okay, this is super random. I'm going back to like the beginning of the show, but I just remembered something I wanted to ask you. And my I've never done this. My listeners are gonna be like, what? But you said something about alpha female 
the yin and the yang, the shiva and the shakti. And it had to do also with like discovering the physical asana practice like later in life. But uh, we were ta- you were talking about meditation and how meditation didn't feel good. And in coming episodes that haven't yet aired, but I'm talking to people about masculine and feminine energy and every single one of them does not like seated meditations. Like this, the seated practice is very masculine energy for them. And I actually, I struggle a little bit because I'm trying to find my feminine energy and they're like, move, dance, walk. And I was like, oh, and then if I think back to yogic history, was meditation and the physical asana practice not created to keep little boys calm? I mean, it was it was it was for men. Women women weren't taught absolutely. Um, there is things. So I have a seated meditation practice. I actually teach meditation. Um, but for clients who don't like a seated practice, a lot of it is we aren't moving in our feminine body. And I don't mean sexual. I mean sensual creativity, life source energy that has this move in dynamic ways that's so natural um, for the feminine, which everyone has that energy, regardless of the gender spectrum. Um, and so, yeah, if, or if your day is really linear, if you sit down in meditation and you're at a desk and everything is from the front of your head outward, I would say like, that's not equilibrium. That's creating an imbalance. Like what's to the sides? Like, have you looked, you know, so maybe being curious about nature, dynamic movement, like you're talking about dance, like balance doesn't look like the same thing for everyone. That's not to say there aren't merits for being able to just sit in our body and to observe thought, but that is for a specific reason. If we're wanting to create little stress relief or just center before the day gets going, there's so many things we can do. And it's so much fun um, to come up with those things. I always have people think of like the list of things that they're most excited to do before we even talk about some of the practices. Then it's like, okay, how can we connect them together? Yeah. And I absolutely love, I have a five, I had a five minutes. Now I'm up to 10 because I'm craving that quiet time. Uh, but the minute I don't crave it anymore, I'll change it. Uh, but again, because meditation is becoming a very popular topic, again, there's external constraints. People are saying you need to do it this way for this many minutes. uh, And that's your practice. And people are like, I can't sit still for that long. Then don't. (laughs) Yeah. And then there are things with the doshas, like the type of meditation. I I teach a lot of body-based sensation meditation because I want embodiment. That's something I'm teaching that's really essential in terms of Ayurveda and, and being attuned to ourselves. But, you know, for someone who's really in their bodies, like more of the kapha earthy qualities, maybe like a guided vision meditation is really helpful. Where for vata, where they're kind of doing that, even when their eyes are open, maybe something grounding and thinking of a tree, you know, like the, the, the thing we integrate into the meditation is as important, if not more so than the fact that we're sitting down. Oh, I love that. Okay, cool. Thank you for going on that tangent with me. <laughs> Happy to. <laughs> Well, it has been absolutely amazing chatting with you. I could go so much longer, but I want to be cognizant of the time and our listeners' time. So let's end with my favorite question of the podcast. But will you tell us what is your definition of happiness? So for me, as I mentioned a bit ago, like happiness really is something that we cultivate from the inside. I, I in in the way that joy emanates from the inside. There's this. There's a quote by um, Yehada Amaka. Sure. Yeah. (laughs) You can say it and I'd be like, yeah. And it is that beyond, she says, beyond all this, some great happiness is hiding. And I love that. To me, it's when we lift the veil, when we get out of our thoughts, 
when we um, clean the filter through which we're experiencing life, uh, when we're able to be present, happiness is awaiting. And I, I really, I really love that. I strive for that. I love that. Thank you so much for your time with us. How can guests find you? What's the best place to hang out? So I, my website's under construction right now. You can still get there, but um, I have all my information on Instagram. It's at elemental underscore alchemy.com. Um, the website's the same. It's just, it'll redirect you to a different page, but all the information is current. Even if anyone has any questions, I'm so happy to follow up and answer uh, any questions or direct you to any other resources. It really is my greatest joy to be able to share this practice and remind people of the wisdom that we all have within. Amazing. Thank you. Thank you so much. So after three years of recording the Alpha Female podcast, I did a thing. I created a Patreon page. So over the sabbatical from January to March, I started listening to the Sick Boy podcast. And they have the best way of telling their listeners to go support them on Patreon. And I, re I realized after listening to them that there's no reason why I can't ask for your support. So hosting a podcast, putting a podcast out there can be expensive. If I were to total up all the expenses for the past three years, I would probably gulp looking at the total amount because hosting the podcast on Libsyn and using a podcast editor, those costs add up. So I am kindly asking you if you would support me by pledging to become a Patreon supporter of the Alpha Female Podcast. So you head over to patreon.com, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash alpha female podcast. And there's different pledge areas or tiers. So you can pledge as little as $1 a month, as little as $3 a month. I've got a $5 one and a $10 one. So pledging $1 a month gets you access to our alpha female pack Facebook group. If you pledge $3 a month, you'll get access to the Alpha Female Pack, a shout out on the show, and I would love to send you a doTERRA essential oil sample of your choice. So you get to pick from my entire collection what you'd like to try, and I'll send it over to you in the mail. If you pledge over $5 or more a month, I've got some pretty cool um, incentives. So you'll have to go and check out the page. And then especially for the $10, um, just check it out and let me know if those incentives make sense to you. This is my first time doing this. So I'd love to learn from you. If you even have your own Patreon page, let me know what um, type of edits you may want to see. Um, and we'll go from there. So let's see how this works please support the show. I would very much appreciate it. For the listeners of the Alpha Female Podcast, Audible is now offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial so you can check out their service. There's some amazing books like You Are a Badass by Jen Sincero or The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle. To download your free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com forward slash alpha. Again, that's audibletrial.com forward slash alpha for your free audiobook. This episode is sponsored by Four Sigmatic. It's the most popular mushroom product on the market, and I've actually been drinking their Shaga tea even before they sponsored the Tim Ferriss podcast. So I figured it was about time I got you guys a beautiful discount so you could snag your own mushroom coffee, tea, or hot cacao mix. 
I'm obsessed with the Shaga mushroom tea. I drink it in the afternoon for a really high dose of antioxidants. And then the hot cacao mix with reishi mushrooms is my favorite for an evening treat if I have a sweet tooth craving. So use the promo code alphafemale at checkout for 10% off and you can shop on their website at foursigmatic.com. Thank you for listening to the Alpha Female Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the show. And I would love you to eternity and back if you would be so kind to open your podcast app of choice. Go do it now before changing to the next episode. And just leave me a rating and review. It'll help other alpha females find this podcast and join in on the conversations. You can find more of me at robinbeldon.com and join us next week for another inspiring chat. Have a spectacular day.